Welcome to the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast, covering agriculture and all things related in West Carroll, Morehouse, East Carroll, Madison, Tinsall, Concordia, and Catahoula Parishes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast. My name is Kylie Miller, and we want to welcome back Dennis Burns, who's been absent from the uh, the podcast the last two weeks. I'm here. Go ahead Thanks. and say hey, Dennis. Hey, I'm here. I'm finally back, you know, from all my adventures. Yeah, well, um, well, glad to have you back. And then we also have uh, Bruce Gardner. Say good morning. Good morning, everybody. How's it? I hope everybody's doing well this morning. And today we have special guest with us, Dr. Uh, Wesley Porter. Um, I guess let's begin by letting you introduce yourself and then we'll get into the topic. All right, that sounds good. So I'm Wes Porter. I'm an associate professor and extension specialist for University of Georgia located at the Coastal Plains Experiment Station in Tifton, Georgia. That's in South Georgia. I'm an ag engineer by training. Um, I've worked on multitude of different things. My prime responsibilities in the state of Georgia are precision agriculture, machinery, and irrigation. So cover a, a wide area of uh, topics there too. So we can jump on in when you're ready. Yeah, well, um, today's topic, we want to talk about high-speed planters. Um, I guess uh, we can begin by letting you just talk that out and telling us what you like about them and what you don't like about them. Yeah, so that's a good point. So there's a lot of components that can go into high-speed planters and, and where we're at. And I think a couple of things we want to think about is, you know, what's our plan? What's our um, what's our farm size look like? What's our field size look like? And if we're thinking about buying one, we already bought one, we're, you know, don't want one at all or wherever we're at, you know, we just want to weigh our options, decide, is this is this something that I need on my farm? Is this something that would be beneficial to me? And so first thing I would mention or, or go into, I guess, and, you know, a lot of people talk about it, is we are up in our uh, technology on farm. So one of our, I think one of our most neglected pieces of equipment a lot of times is our planter, right? We, we park the thing at the end of the year, pull it under the shed, and, you know, I hope you pulled your seed plates out and emptied all the seed from the previous year, but there's a lot of times I went to farms this time of year or a few weeks ago, a few months ago, and we've done some uh, planter clinics and we found seeds still sitting in hoppers and all that stuff. And so if we're already not doing a good job with planter maintenance, we're probably gonna be disappointed with a planter with um, with a lot of technology on it because we, we hope we can just hook it up and roll. And sometimes that doesn't happen. We hear a lot of stories of um, it taking days to get it up and running. And some of that's a combination of things is, you know, we we may have not have done the best job when we, you know, unhooked everything and maybe we don't have all the correct cables hooked in the right place, or maybe we've got a new tractor, or maybe it's just been almost a year since we used it last and forgot, you know, what settings it needs to be or where we're at. And sometimes we, um, I hate to say this, but it's hard to get a dealer out there immediately like we need it, you know, because they're specialty, right? It's not just a piece of machinery that we can we can tinker on and pull a hammer out or pull some wrenches out and get stuff going. You know, when we start talking about equipments and electronics. Sometimes it's a little bit difficult to um, to get all that stuff up and rolling compared to a normal planner that we're able to do that with. So keep that in mind that before you just jump into one, either you know, are you comfortable with some of the light maintenance and troubleshooting on one when you get ready to go and roll? Or do you have a local dealer that's close and can get out to you relatively quickly? You know, so and I'm not picking on them. For example, in the state of Georgia, you know, we've got John Deere that offers and we've got um, 
Vantage Southeast or Ag Technologies that offers a retrofit kit from the precision planning side. And then we've got uh, one other dealer who's, he's actually located out of Alabama, but he offers the, um, um, he offers the Ag Leader solution to that too. So we've got three different companies offering three different things, but you got to think about where your dealer's located, what kind of local support you have, et cetera, right? And we start going because you, you, your neighbor and everybody else is going to be ready to plan at the same time. And so if you're all calling them, they may not be able to get to you that day. So that's step one is, you know, how are we going to get them up and running? Step two, and ask yourself, why are we um, why are we looking at an advanced planner in the first place? And and you just I can't answer that question for you. You got to think about or we we feel like we're wanting to pick up or inf- increase our field capacity. You know, we want to pick up acres per hour or we want to do better at stand uniformity or we want to do better at seed placement or a combination thereof. And and why is that? Is the planner that we have right now, we feel like we're not up to up to spec or up to par? Is there something that we could retrofit onto that or just some maintenance we could do that to get it where, you know, where we're at? Or we just want to drive faster. We all of a sudden feel like four miles an hour or five miles an hour just didn't fast enough. You know, we're getting on the edge of our seats. And I'll promise you, once you start planting at six, seven, eight, ten miles an hour, four miles an hour, you're going to feel like you're driving in snail's pace, right? It's going to be really hard to back back down and slow down. So you got to answer that question too. Why why do we want this planner? And when we start to ask that question, I think a big thing we really need to consider and it's why we don't see a ton of what I would call true high-speed planners, right? So I'm going to do that. Uh, you can't see me on a podcast, but in the background, I'm doing quote-unquote true high-speed <laughs> because we, um, when we look at um, an advanced planner, if we're just wanting to pick up a couple miles per hour at planting, we might could do that with just advanced control systems, maybe electric seed meter and hydraulic downforce control, et cetera. We're able to do that. We've uh, we've done a lot of research in Georgia, and I'm sure y'all have had some done your way that shows that we can increase speed a couple miles an hour. Even I know y'all don't have a ton of peanuts, but I was looking at some data this morning. Even on peanuts, at least in a lab setting, uh, when we're looking at using a, an electric seed meter versus a standard seed meter. So that tells me right there that just moving to an advanced planner, we can pick up a couple miles an hour. So you think about, is, is this good or where we're at? All right, so now let's talk about getting on the edge of our seats and driving this planner at 10 miles an hour or 12 miles an hour, like we see the YouTube videos across the Midwest and other places like that. Um, is your field situated like Midwestern fields? you got to ask yourself that question to start with. Or do you have large, uh, large, long runs a row? Now, to me, when I drive to the Delta region and to the what we call the Mid-South, I feel like you all have big fields compared to what we have in Georgia. But I, I don't know if that's necessarily the case when we really break it down, right? You start looking at average field size, what they look, look like, planting patterns, et cetera. Are you truly going to be able to take advantage of 10 miles plus an hour in a planner? You're going to get up to speed and then you're going to, have to slow back down and stop at the end of the field. You know, what majority of your field is in long row lengths that you can do this with? Uh, are you going to have to reconsider some row configurations and some of that stuff just to make this fit in when we talk about it? Um, another problem, and I'm just going to throw you when we know, throw some pros and cons out there. Another problem I've seen with them, at least in our soils, and I think y'all would see too, because your soils are heavier than ours. We don't typically think about a planter of creating a whole lot of draft if we're just planting, right? If we're if we're pulling some tillage with it or doing some road cleaning or something like that, we're creating a little draft behind that tractor, and that is what it is. But I've ridden in some high-speed planters around Georgia with just a planter behind you, and when we get up to about 10 miles an hour with auto steer, that tractor wants to walk a little bit. 
it just uh, the auto steer is not compensating as fast as we think it would with that speed, with the draft that that larger planter is starting to create at the speed of it. So keep that in mind. And what I mean by walk, your front end is going to start floating a little bit and your auto steer is going to have to start fighting a little bit to keep you on a straight row. And you're going to get some of them wiggle rows out there that, you know, everybody wants to hide in the center and not let you see from the end. But um, the only solution to that really is, um, is you got to slow back down a little bit, let your auto steer catch back up and, and pull you back online. That's just a function of our fields, our draft that we're seeing back there and some th other things going on. So keep that in mind, too, when we're going at 10 miles an hour. Um, you know, there's a lot of other things to consider. The, the technology on them is really nice, right? So we want to talk about seed singulation, seed delivery, seed to soil contact, all that. We can really up our game some when we look at that. But some of that may be accomplished by just a standard planner and, and adding some components onto it, too. So that's my quick spiel. I, you know, this is a podcast. We've got a lot of other guys on here. I, I want to have a conversation with them while we're talking out and back to make sure you know, you're all getting what you want out of me. So let's uh, let's talk a little more about it. Some other things. Wesley, you, you, you mentioned um, field length. Is are you in your in your research? Are you finding an optimal field length? I mean, because we we do have some. You know, like I said, we do have some fields that are that are you know long, like you said, thirty three hundred feet long. But as as we've started precision leveling fields and breaking them up for, for, for irrigation purposes, you know, a lot of our fields get down to a quarter mile, 1,200, you know, 12, 1,600 feet range for irrigation purposes. Is, are you, have you found a, a kind of a sweet spot in there that, that would, for, for, for that, for that planter to, to, to reach that full speed? Yeah, so we, we've not done any like what, what I would call time slash distance test on them to see where we're at. I do want to <clears throat> make everybody aware someone didn't really talk about is like response time of the system and where we're at. So, you know, when we turn around and we start up, it's going to take that system when you're when you're pulling it just some time to get up to that speed. And we're talking, I don't know, 50, 75, 100 foot, if not longer, to get up comfortably to the speed we're at, you know, and, and it right. feels like you're taking off pretty, pretty rapidly, you know, after you made that turnaround and got back in. And it's going to depend you know, on, on what you're doing at the edge of the field, you know, and how fast you can get up to that. But we're going to take a couple hundred feet minimum every time to get up to stability. And so, and that's going to be the same kind of thing on slowdown. You know, we're not going to fly to the end of the field at 10 miles an hour. So all of a sudden you're cutting three, 400 foot or so off that field length. You're talking 1200 or even 2000 foot field lengths at longer side, you know, you're losing a quarter of that right off the bat, you know, kind of speed up, slow down, make sure where we're at. So that's just something to keep in mind at the 10 mile an hour or faster, you know, we've just been shown you can run those at up to 12 plus miles an hour. I, I just know that that's going to take stability time, you know, and, and it's going to take time when we look at any changes in the field, we're doing seed rate changes and some of that stuff, the response time of that equipment. I, I don't know if you have that in mind to do, but we're looking at changing seed rate across the field or something like that. The response time of that is going to be kind of lagging because you are moving faster, right? right. The response right. time's there. So that's a good question. Well, I was thinking about that that, that water furrow that, that that we have at the bottom in a lot a lot of our fields. That's not something you want to sneak up on you. I mean, that's that can make a good day bad real quick if you if you hit some of these water furrows at 10, 10 11 miles an hour. I'm Think. saying you can be breaking some equipment then. Right. Yeah. I have, okay. I have follow up here. Okay. Will the and people bought the these high speed planters mostly this winter. Is when they seem to, or last fall, they got more of them. 
and they'll plant, of course, they plant corn, but it'll do corn, cotton. I mean, it'll plant everything equally singulated as well. I mean, there's no difference in it like that. So, so that's your that's the nice thing about them. You put your right seed plates, your right components in there, you're going to see really good singulation out of the systems. And so if, if you're looking for better singulation, better seed placement and some of that, um, maybe that's is, is for you to look at. And let's back up and say, all right, I, you know, I've, I've hammered on the, the 10 mile an hour thing a lot, but if we want to pick up, again, we want to pick up a few miles an hour. Um, I think we could stay with a standard planter, not necessarily what we call a true high speed and put some retrofit components on it. But if we're comfortable at seven, eight, nine miles an hour even still, then we might want to look at some of the high speed um, high speed systems. So, you know, and, and it will, and Dennis, as you allude to, it's going to do a very good job singulating all that system. And the nice thing that we have to have when we start traveling that fast is we need a reactive downforce system on that. No longer will the spring or a pneumatic system uh, be sufficient. We need a hydraulic system that's reactive to react to what we're doing and that speed that we're traveling that fast. So keep that in mind as we upgrade those, and they're all going to come with that. But if we upgrade, upgrade some components, and we think we can negate, you know, some of the other words just to pick up a mile or two an hour. That's that's not going to keep the simulation we're talking about where we need to be. Because we're going to add such bounce to that row unit, you know, across that field. No matter how good of a tillage job you do, you know, that's that's just moving a piece of equipment that's trying to move soil extremely fast. I, I got a follow up question to it. I never, to be honest, I never really thought about it. Is you mentioned draft on the planter, and I mean we got a couple. Of, producers here in Tinsall with 60 foot planters and uh i mean you 60 feet that's a lot of units i mean that's these a lot are 30 there's 30 inch rows so that's every how many that is it's a bunch that's a bunch yeah. of units <clears throat> yeah so you think about it that way we we don't think about um draft on a planter because we just think that we're you know we're pulling it through and just dropping a seed in the ground but when we really start looking at it, we're um, we're engaging the ground at about three different points on that planter, and that's not including row cleaners on the front. And so, if we don't have row cleaners, we're engaging the ground at our um, opening disc, and that's where our biggest draft's going to be. And without an adequate downpour system on there, what that's going to tend to do is ski on top of the ground. Right, we're going to rise that system up as we move forward. Um, second, we're engaging the ground with our um, gauge wheels right there. So our gauge wheels have a force applied to them through downforce that they're pushing on the ground. Harder we, faster we go, the harder we put, we're going to have to push on them to make sure they maintain that downforce. And then the last thing we want to do, and, and to be honest, I, I say this is the most critical component, but all, everything to me is a, it's an intricate system happening there, but is our closing system. And we're engaging the ground and causing some draft back there, depending on what type of closing system we have and what we're trying to do. And so if we go too fast on those and we've not adequately um, applied what we would call row close, you know, the downforce on the row closing system, we're not going to close a row, right? We're going to leave seeds sitting in that furrow open. And, and let's go back to cotton for a minute. Cotton, we plant very shallow already. Um, we got guys in Georgia want to plant cotton at half an inch. I'm, I'm against that. They feel like the shallower they plant it, the faster it gets out of the ground. But we're planting somewhere around a half inch. Guess what? A quarter inch means a lot when you're at a half inch. If we let that seed rise a quarter inch, it's laying on the soil surface. And I would say 80 to 90% of the time, if we don't get moisture on that seed really fast, it's not going to germinate if it's got no soil around it, right? And we just lost that seed. And so we've defeated the purpose of what we're wanting to do. So Dennis, as you allude to, you got some 60 foot planters out there. 
Man, we start thinking about that. It's it's a lot of draft back there, and it's going to take a lot of tractor to pull that planter that fast. And that's something that we don't think of a lot of times. It's, it's like, all right, it's just a planter. We're just dropping seed, but we're doing a lot more than dropping seed, and we have to do it right, or we're going to leave. We're going to lose uh, stand establishment at the beginning of the year. Okay. Well, that's what – and I never thought about it. I rode on a 60-foot – on a tractor with a 60-foot planter. They were planting soybeans for the first time couple of weeks ago Uh-oh. and and he was planting six miles an hour but his was not a high speed planter it was just a but he had the automatic down pressure and had, there wasn't many bells and whistles that weren't on it and uh but it wasn't a high speed planter and and you could see the seed numbers and i think he even had a more some kind of moisture sensor in there that checked the more soil moisture as he was yeah so he probably had a a precision planning um system retrofit system on that he probably had the smart firmer where he had you get a bunch of different data from that smart firmer soil moisture uh, clean furrow soil ec soil soil temperature all that which is a nice it's a nice thing to have to let you kind of know where you're riding at in those furrows sometimes let you know if you're too dry too wet if you start getting Temperature shouldn't change a whole lot, but if you if you're planting and you you know you hadn't really done a good job checking soil temperature, if that's fluctuating mm-hmm. some on you, et cetera. So um, we look at that system. Some of our research from that perspective, since you mentioned it, and I haven't really went into it, we did a lot of tests here um, planting corn and cotton at uh, using planter like you're talking about with standard seed tubes. And so really, what'll start separating these planters if we want to know the truth is seed tubes um, at the end or um, whether it's gravity drop or whether it's uh, a speed tube or the exact emerged brush belt system that's the john deere speed tube on precision planning and now some of the other companies have similar solutions so most of our gravity drop seed tubes are designed to operate and i'm going to use a broad range but somewhere from about five miles an hour up to about or about four and a half up to about five six miles an hour we've seen up to about six miles an hour there's no difference in a high speed planter and a gravity drop tube. So he's probably fine. If you go a lot faster now, you think about the curvature of that seed tube faster, you're moving faster. Those seed tubes are designed to let the seed drop as you move forward and never hit the seed tube. Now you move too fast, what we're gonna do is called seed tube bounce. That's when we need to go to the high speed system where we're actually grabbing that seed basically off of the meter and delivering it to the furrow. If we're planting anything over six miles an hour, we saw a pretty, um, pretty high level of degradation in seed spacing and even emergence because of that. So we got to make sure as we get a little faster, he's, I, to me, he's in the comfortable range at six miles an hour. Now, if he got, if he got like, all right, there's a storm coming tomorrow, or I'm just getting tired of planting, I want to finish up. And I, he bumps up to six and a half, seven, eight miles an hour. He's going to start to see a big degradation in his uh, plant uniformity and his spacing uniformity when, uh, when it comes time, because that seed tube's not made to handle that. Well, the, the neatest thing about the planter was we, it's kind of like Bruce said, there's there's two fields together and they're about a 1,200 feet, about 1,000 feet, 1,100 feet of it is, there's a water fur, but there's a turn row in the middle, watering pad, and it's kept there. And his planter cut off and on when he went across it. All, every, every row he had the electric drive, yep. and it just cut across, as he went across, it cut it off and on. You know, it was nice for replanting. That do what, Kylie? I was saying it was really nice when we were replanting. Oh and yeah. Having to back up, like when you run out of seed and um, trying to pick up where you left off, you really didn't have to guess at that. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah, the control systems in general are really nice on them. You know, just just upgrading to that. There's a lot of features and a lot of things we can do just having those systems. Well, and it, seed, seed cost, it's saying just cutting off the turn, the watering pad or turn row, whatever you want to call it, it saves a lot. There's there's way more acres in it than you think it is. Yes. Well, so I was real impressed with it. Yeah. What I've seen when you start actually monitoring seeds and, and doing control systems, using auto steer and doing all this stuff, it goes one of two ways. Either you're going to increase your seed need a little bit or you're going to decrease it or, or a combination. You might say, well, why are we increasing it? I've talked to a lot of guys that as they start to do this, and they start to be more precise where they're at instead, of especially switching to auto steer, instead of overcompensating or narrowing or widening rows where you shouldn't be, you're actually farming your full field all of a sudden. But then you have, like you're mentioning, the, the auto shutoff features and stuff like that. We're not double planting anything anymore, right? And so we're saving a lot of seed when it comes around to that. We're planting headlands. We're planting, you know, going over non-cropped areas, as you talked about, you know, some of your water pads or some of any ditches, anything like that. As long as we got done a good job up front lining those out in our field boundaries, you know, it's going to shut off. It's not going to put seed out there where normally we, we may be behind lifting the planter out of the ground on a ground drive or flipping our switch off or whatever. It's going to have all that set up. So, yeah. Works good. I was impressed, and I've seen it. I've seen it, and they look, and it does. And your your road is outlined. You know, it used to be when they used to do it manually, you'd have little triangles. You know, you some out in the road, some you know a blank area in the field. But it all it all works well. The technology's gotten very uh, intense. I guess. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, when we used it this year, this is our first year using one. I mean, I was really impressed with the seed space, and you could truly tell a difference between the regular planter, I guess I'll say, versus it. I mean, you could see a difference when the when the corn was definitely coming up. But I'll say the biggest disadvantage is going to be for us is the labor to run it. It's going to have to be Will on the Will on the tractor running the planter because I don't think anybody else would be able to understand. It'd be too much for them to handle to know. So um i mean that's gonna be our biggest downfall with with not getting a second one or something yeah kyle you bring up a good point um when we look at any of these technologies you know whether it's planting spraying harvest anything we're, we're no longer um we're no longer just an equipment operator we're operating a computer and we've got to be really careful you know for good or bad we got to be careful who we're letting operate them or how we've trained who we're letting operate them because if we just put somebody in there that can you know that can barely use a smartphone or is not very technology literate to operate this system and they encounter a problem, they're apt to do one or two one or two things. Either they're gonna quit or they're just gonna keep planting with that problem and hope everything works, right? Right. And we need that data. I mean that's how we keep farm records and such not is is more, you know, putting that out in the field or whatever we're doing. I mean that's that's our records now. And uh so we need that to be right. That's exactly right. You know, we we need you you bring up the really like it's a it's a problem here. I think it's a problem everywhere now. Is, right. We call about, you know, we'd say having skilled labor to be able to operate this, these systems. And that's what we have to have. If we don't have skilled labor to operate it, then we're stuck. And it goes back to one of my first points about having also skilled dealers around to be able to mm -hmm. troubleshoot or maintenance that stuff if we need them. You know, we make that phone call in, but something's not working. we got to have somebody out there that can handle it. Let me, Kylie brought up something and I want to just get your opinion and tell me what your solution is. Kylie said they, you know, they're keep, they're using all their, they're recording everything, every trip across the field, what they're doing, putting out, all that kind of stuff. Data overload. What, what's the solution? I mean, because you very easily run into data overload. 
Yes, it's, it's a problem everywhere, man. I've got planner data I hadn't even touched, right? I got all the files exported, hadn't went into it, and hadn't touched it. I think what we have to do is determine, is this data valuable for us? What can we get out of it? And what are we going to use it for? And I've talked to a lot of different farmers. Um, had actually had the opportunity when we were in Baton Rouge, you know, what now, Dennis, about a month or so ago yeah. for Cotton Rice Conference. Had a panel in there and, and asked guys what they did with some of the data. And it was really neat to hear some of the answers. Some of the guys really astute and they would export those files either to a consultant or, or themselves. Usually, I hate to say this, but usually it was either a younger farmer or had a son or somebody who had been through a, a four-year degree and was comfortable, you know, dealing with that data. They would export that and try to have some sort of record that they used from it, at least that they could use at the end of the year. You know, what product, what seed and rate, some of that. Um, <clears throat> and then as we move through the rest of the season, of course, you know, whatever operation we have, we can have those files. And so a couple of things you need to ask yourself as we are um, – as we're moving forward with systems. And this is not on our planner topic, but you know, how do you get the data off the machine? You know, is that data automatically uplinked? Do you need to make sure you pull it off, et cetera? And what value does that data have to your farm? Right. And, and is it worth you using and pulling off? And so you've got to make that decision. And once you decide, hey, this data is valuable, you're going to put some more time and effort into it. But now we have to think about what the role of the American farmer is. We're all, we're all of a sudden, you know, if we look 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, we were equipment operators as the American farmer. Now we're becoming more and more managers. We're becoming more, we have to be manager, analytic, banker, list goes on and on. And so are you prepared on your farm to make sure that we're going to take advantage of these data sets and what they can do for us? Or are you not quite there yet? And then there's not a right or wrong answer. I don't, I don't want to sit there and say, just because you're not using these data sets that you're falling behind, you're still fine, but you need to decide on the farm, you know, what value could it have in your operation and how can we use it? And if you find that it's valuable, then I think you're going to, then you know that, all right, I've got to dedicate time making sure I get this data back. I use it somehow, I analyze it and get something valuable out of it. If you don't know what it's going to do for you yet, you know, it's not going to be valuable for your time at this point, but you got to have a good use to make sure it's valuable for you. Well, yes, this is Ariel. Sorry, Joe and y'all late and had a little technical problem. Uh, what you're talking about there in the overload on the data, you know, something that everybody runs into, like you said, but would it be probably advisable to start, maybe not the whole farm, but maybe a small portion of it, get your feet well, understand what's going on, pick the data you need or you want to, <clears throat> excuse me, pick the data out of it that you actually can maybe make the quickest changes with starting off and then build on it? That's exactly right. I think um, what we need to do is, is make sure that we are comfortable with it. And we know that we're um, we're able to use it for something, as you're alluding to. You start somewhere small and say, all right, you know, this is what I can do with this data in this field or somewhere else um, and then scale up because it can be overwhelming, as we're all talking about right now, to try to go back and let's say you're farming a couple thousand acres to pull all that at the end of the season and say, oh, my goodness, I've got gigabytes worth of data right now to go through you know what i would do i probably wouldn't touch it i would just keep working on something else because there's so much going on right but it's just like anything we do if we can do it a little piece by little piece and say all right let me pull my planter file let me pull my as applied file and if you're doing any other operations you're planting too you probably have a record of that but at minimum look at seed and rate what my as applied rate was on my seed and rate and a few other things that happened in that field make sure they're matching up with where you're at make sure you see you know what's happened there and use that to make adjustments moving forward right i know dennis and i got into this with a guy several years ago <clears throat> he what dennis he was trying to uh farm on a square foot or something oh, yeah 
Well, I mean, he, he was over. To... He had overloaded and was trying to overcompensate. I reckon. Oh man, overmanage. Yeah. He was RL. He was an ag engineer. If you remember right? <laughs> yeah, I forgot that part. <laughs> yep. I mean, we don't want to call anybody names or anything, but you know. <laughs> Something, I mean, sometimes you start talking about pulling soil samples and stuff on the square foot, and you yeah. know, I mean, he was analyzing it on too small an area. It was sometimes us, on his part. Us engineers have a have a hard time not seeing the forest for the one tree in the middle, right? You got to. Yeah. It's hard to find some of so We get fixated on that one tree, and then we forget there's a forest there. So you got to yeah. back up, look at big picture, and so for me, where it would be valuable, you pull that as applied file. And let's be let's be honest and be candid with each other for a minute. If we ever pull an as a fly, as applied file, we know that system is not a hundred percent applying the seeding rate that it says it is the entire time, or the downforce is not a hundred percent on, right? And I'm not I'm not bashing any system out there. We're just saying that due to speed up, slow down, due to field variability, due to equipment response time, whatever going on out there. If we told it we wanted 32,000 seeds per acre on cotton, it's not always going to be at 32,000 seeds per acre. It might dip under, it might go up. We might have had an issue in the field, man. We might have had a piece of something got down in a hopper we didn't realize it, or we had a stopped up seed tube for a few minutes, or had dirt bounce. I've had dirt bounce up in a seed tube before a rock gets stuck. I don't know if y'all have had that happen between my uh, smart firmer and my seed tube. We've got just enough at pebbly loam soil. We had something pop up in there one time, couldn't figure out all of a sudden seed tube sensor quit reading but you know how long it takes to back a seed tube up to realize that was a problem with cotton seed yeah yeah so then we realized though we look at some of this and say oh now i know why i'm missing a hundred foot of row right here in this particular one and seed tube stopped up or this happened or that happened and so that data to me is valuable from big picture right we start seeing all right i was off we talked about a few minutes ago we talked about how we save seed now so now we can go back and look and say, all right, you know, I, did, I was able to save seed, but here I underseeded by about 2,000. Here I overseeded by 2,000. Here, for some reason, this row, this particular row unit kicked down and underseeded by 5,000. So then if we can look at some of that and understand, all right, I have some variability across this field of just planting, then we get to our harvest standpoint and we look at yield monitor data and just say, all right, do we see any of this reflected in yield monitor? You know, or, or is there any other thing that we can start looking at? The nice thing for me, you start laying, we're getting way off topic, we start laying those data layers. We can do some good on-farm research and learn a little bit more about what's happening at our farm and where we could better target seeding rates. And, and we're talking soil samples, maybe some fertility and some other things that we can tie back in and, and use this to where we're, you know, better managed in. You know, here, y'all are, are a little bit different on your irrigation management, especially if you're, if you're precision leveled and you're furrow irrigating. But here, a real simple one for us, y'all know that, is we can under a, under the pivot and outside the pivot, right? And, you know, and it just say irrigated dry land. That's one that we can flip a switch or change a seeding rate really, really easily as we go across that field and then evaluate that. And, and to me, seed cost is, is pretty astronomical for us now. And so my, my question, I'm an engineer saying this, but man, how low can I go when I get outside of there, right? If I'm, if I know that I got to, yeah, Bruce is laughing, you know, I get out in that dry land. <laughs> I'm, I'm just seeing that third rail you're walking up to. <laughs> yeah, you know, so it's like, you know, where are we at? You know, we we kind of say, I, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ease out through there and drop it down a little bit. And, you know, we got the controllability now with these planters, you know, drop it down a little bit more and see where we come out at the end of the year. And, you know, who knows? We may, we will find a bottom end, but 
that's what I like using these data sets for yeah. is figuring some of that out too. Is that we have problems that arose in our field during any field operation? What effect did they have on yield? And then let's circle back around and how can we use this to learn about our farm a little bit more? And again, we we joked about it, but keep big picture. Yeah. Well, Wes, I think I think you're, you're touching you're touching on three things right there that that even even we're talking about data and you know just you're you're kind of preaching to the choir here with with with, with the four of us because we've we've said over the years about you know what what are we putting out in the field for let's just talk about soybeans for a second you know how many how many seed we're dropping i mean where where is that sweet spot in in that sharky clay that heavy cracking clay and where's that sweet spot up in that sandy or lone ground Mm-hmm. And those those two numbers are 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 could could be ballparks apart, you know, when you yep. when you really get down to it. And you know, t- talking about seed cost. So yeah, I mean th- that definitely that type of data, being able to look at it, and at the end of the season saying, you know, I dropped a third less seed in this field than I did in that field, and my yields held. I mean yep. that's that's huge. That's huge. You know what? What the what the the guy in the, the Senate say? A, a few billion dollars here and a few billion dollars there, and now we're talking about some real money. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> a few billion here, a few billion there. That's right. You know, it's, yeah, you know you're talking about a sack of seed here and a sack of seed there. We're mm-hmm. eventually talking about real money. Now, is that is that going to get you a return on investment totally on that planter? No, but it's going to get you in the ballpark better. I mean, in, in over a period of time. Yeah, well, I think what we got to look at with that is, let's say, um, one 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 thing, and you know, we're we're probably off topic from high speed planters, but one thing you can do with this planter all of a sudden, because you are advanced control systems, you can change seed and rate on the go. You can develop a prescription map, or you can change it manually. It's up to you. So you can change seed and rate on the go. You can save seed, save seeds. The next thing you can do is. Hey, we can, Dennis mentioned, even without the high speed components on this planter, we're up to six miles an hour. Before, I bet guys were planting not far from that, but, you know, we theoretically should have been planting at probably four to five miles an hour before. So just picking up a mile or two per hour and being more timely with our operations, you know, trying to beat weather or getting in between weather events so that we're not lagged so far behind in a season makes a, a big difference in yield. If we're planting three weeks late, Man, we know the big difference that two or three weeks can make if we miss that. And in in in-season temperatures, in-season rainfall distribution, and all that, we can make or break a crop. If we'd have been a week earlier, we might have we might have saw hundred bushel yields versus now we were seventy or sixty, right? Because we missed a rainfall that we were there. Or all of a sudden, what's been happening to us is same as y'all. Our temperatures have been spiking in the month of like May to June. If we can get our corn in early enough and beat that, you know, that that's right going to make. There, game changer for us <laughs> yeah that was our decision making on right there on being because i mean i don't remember what will was planting a day but i mean insane amount versus what uh what we were able to get done with just two regular planters that's right so, you're not I mean, doubling we were, you're not doubling field capacity but you're increasing the percentage by anywhere from 15 to 30 40 percent per day and it doesn't sound like a lot till you put the pencil down to it and right. Say, right and timing is everything for us i mean that's it. it being able to get on time you could you i mean you know you just said it so i mean that's been our biggest deal our soils are a little more forgiving than y'all's is when it comes to rainfall i think too you, you start talking about some of those heavy heavy clay soils you guys got you get a big rain event that comes in you might be out of the field for a week or two you know we can get a planter back in there and if you could have finished it the day prior or three days mm-hmm. prior because you were I have able to 
that's it right well, there you know you look at just look at this week it's it's semi dry today you might could tip around if you were going to plant finish planting some corn or but tomorrow and then what is it 80 percent chance of rain thursday night thursday, friday right yeah and then 60 percent next thursday so i mean you're we're looking at a significant rainfall event and we had two inches last friday or one day last week so i mean it, it's thursday friday and so you were looking at a significant event, so the timing thing, and just what, what small Kyle windows, said, right? Mm -hmm. Small yeah, windows, I mean, get in there and get it planted. Get yep. it planted in a hurry, and that that's a big deal for us. Of course, and, and it really doesn't matter after last night, night four last. It, I suppose it's not. It's not like any of us are replanting corn right now. I mean, it's, that's it's, true. It, it's, that it's not like we've got totally. We got acres that are just gone. I don't. I don't know what happened to them. I, we, I, I think we. I think we didn't water them enough, and the drought burned them up. I don't know. You saw, you saw Daryl Vandeman's post, is what it said. I did. I did. On Southern <laughs> Farming. And, just turn the water on. It'll be all right. Yeah. Oh, it's all. It's all our corn right now is brown and laying flat on the ground. But it, it's oh. gonna get in a, it's gonna get in the fertilizer this week. Yeah, it's, uh -oh. it's gonna get that. It's gonna get the roots are finally gonna get down to that fertilizer. Get up, yeah. get going, start yeah. running. Don't laugh. We've had, we've had people fertilized. So. Oh, oh. So. Well. All right. Well, that's all I got. We appreciate Wes. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully this kind of gives y'all some you know gives your guys some things to think about. Like I said, it's it feels like it's just uh sometimes it's cool to jump on the the fun bandwagon that's there and we see all that's going on but it's it's again it's a case-by-case -case scenario and you got to decide where you stand on that you know what your farm can take and what you can take from the management perspective okay i think there's some good points brought up today i appreciate y'all having me on and getting to discuss it oh we're you know we're glad to have you and appreciate your opinion and you give us give us another view from you know Another state and another, you know, another outlook. So, um, Sally, we got oh. anything else? Uh, I, I was going to let you mention the Soil Health Field Day and then okay. close. Yeah. Yeah. Soil Health Field Day is next Thursday, the 30th, here at the Northeast Research Station. We're going to talk about cover crops, termination. Uh, NRCS will be here. We're actually, hopefully, if it's not too wet, we're going to try and run a roller crimper in some cover crops and talk about that and we're going to plant well actually we're going to crimp it and plant it plant green then we're going to plant green and then crimp it these are soybeans at v2 and then we're just going to take a regular roller and roll some down we're going to do a little bit some app some planting applications into a standing rock cereal rock cover crop but that'll be next thursday uh, registrations at 8 30 uh, or 8 8 30 something like that register and then we start we'll have a little inside program then we'll go to the field and we'll even go i'm just i don't know what's going on but i'm we're even gonna feed you lunch so that's just like what are you cooking <laughs> i don't know this about all i know is it's about i didn't have anything to do with the box lunch but master farmers is is taking care of all that donna is but we're we are doing that but we've got a pretty good program lined out it's going to be a busy morning Okay. Well, thank you, Wes. We appreciate you joining us today, and you are welcome to come back anytime. I'm sure we'll be reaching out with something. So uh, Thanks, thank Dolly. you for yeah, your time sure. today. Yeah, thank y'all.
Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast is produced by the LSU Ag Center Extension Service. For more information, visit the LSUAgCenter.com website or contact your local extension office.